Thank you for joining the Disruptive Dialogue Experience, where our hope is to bring people together with different perspectives like yourself to help innovate change in our communities, cities, and nation. We have with us today, Daphne Patterson. Daphne is a mother of five children, and she is currently working on her PhD in education with a focus on e-learning for adults. She is also the founder of Incarcerated Mothers Matter, an organization that seeks to help nurture and restore the maternal bond between mother and child while encouraging unit reunification for the incarcerated by connecting them with outside services. She has over 25 years in nursing as a nurse practitioner, a certified health and wellness coach, and a master of Reiki healer. Daphne has several projects on the horizon, including her first public book, published book titled Your Mood, God's Food, Let's Eat. Her goal is to help educate the world about holistic approaches to manifesting what we want in life. This is done by using the physical, emotional, and spiritual components of the body. We're so excited to have you today, Daphne. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Yeah, you have so much, uh, so many things going on, and so much experience in history in the medical field, and um, and just the work that you do today. I can't wait to hear more and share more with our listeners about who you are and what makes you click. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, again, I'm Daphne Patterson. Uh, I am a mother of five adult children. Uh, no grandchildren yet, but I am waiting for that day. <laughs> um, and um, what I do now is totally different from the past. And um, God led me through to be able to make this change. Uh, at the time that I started going through my process, my journey, uh, I didn't realize what was going on. And, you know, at first I thought of it more as a punishment uh, because I've been a mother, I was a nurse, I was a caregiver, a wife, daughter, aunt, you know, just an all around friend to people. Um, if you ask anyone, um, about me, the first word they'll say is sweet. Um, so I have adopted that word sweet. Mm -hmm. um, but um, my my goal has always in my life been is to help other people. Uh, I can remember being five years old and it was an older lady that lived on the other street. And sometimes uh, her family would be gone working and my, my mom would be on cooks and I would sneak her food and take her food to her house, you know, so to make sure that she, she had eaten. So I've always been a caregiver and I always thought that, you know, God did this for me and gave me healing hands because my hands are healing hands and it is for me to go out, like I said, and help heal the world the way he wants me to, not the way that I want to. Right. But at one time, um, you know, even in my nursing career, uh, I was going from different areas, you know, to different areas. And I was like, you know, God, why, why do you keep having me go to all these different areas? And one of the last areas I worked at was hospice. And I did hospice for two years. And I was like, you know, why do you have me in hospice? But I came to realize he wanted me to know all the stages of health because it was no way that I could 
work with patients if I didn't know it from the beginning to the finish and how to be compassionate and how to be caring and how to focus on family and um, my patients at that time. Um, So what ended up happening with me uh, after a while, uh, I ended up working for several doctor's offices that didn't allow me time to do for patients what I felt like needed to be done, which was educating patients. Uh, I would get where I got tired of working hospital shifts and you're seeing the same patients over and over with the same diagnosis but it it was just education was missing for them um where they weren't being taught what to do when they go home to keep from coming back and so once I got into practice uh I ended up uh, after three tries uh I ended up having my own office open Um, And it was open for two years, had a really nice, uh, solid clientele, Uh, mainly it was family oriented. So it would be like if the wife came, then the husband was going to come and the children were going to come. So to me, I love that sense of community and family, because if one member wasn't doing right, you could say, hey, your husband ain't doing so, you know, make sure you keep up with this and you could just really teach the whole family how to work together uh, to stay healthy. And um, one other thing that I liked about having my own practice is I was trained by a family um, practitioner, um, which was a medical MD, and he would have patients um, come in sometime and we were in the rural area. And um, this one particular lady came in one day uh, while I was doing all his pre-assessments before he went in and I would go back and discuss with him, you know, and kind of, you know, give my plan of what I would do. And I told him, I said, well, Miss, Miss so-and-so is here. And she said she came last week and you said if she didn't feel better to come back for prayer. And so he said, okay, come on, let's go. And at that moment, I'm like, wow. So you can take a doctor's office and take care of a person medically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I was always prompted to, you know, one day I'm going to have my practice. It's going to be set up just like his practice. And essentially I did. And I was fortunate for him to become my collaborator as well. So he was um, my doctor that, you know, looked over me, signed my papers, who I always coordinated everything with. So um, with in having my uh, own practice, mind my business, doing things, um, uh, I had my situation come up uh, where it was like uh, mistakes being made in billing. Um, long story short, uh, it was my office. It was my responsibility. So I handled everything that I was supposed to. And in turn, I ended up having to serve four years and one month at Mariana um, Federal Prison Camp. But we called it the Federal Prayer Camp because that's where most of well I know me I've always known God went to church prayed but this was my time my me time with God without distractions so let me Um, me interject something real quick so basically mm -hmm. you're living your life you're doing everything you're growing in your profession yes and you get to a point where you have your own uh your own business yes and clinic and now you have everything going well but there's some billing yes. issues yes and the billing yes. issues ended up becoming a, a bigger issue a bigger issue 
mm-hmm. and now you're facing criminal charges. Yes. And mm-hmm. at first I, I couldn't believe it because I was like actually at a medical conference in um, North Carolina and um, my daughter called me and she said, hey, it's an agent here. Um, you know, an FBI agent here wants to talk to you. And I got on the phone. I was confident to get on the phone. I know I hadn't done anything. And he got on the phone and he told me I needed to, um, you know, come back. And I told him, I said, well, okay. I said, I'm getting on the road right now. Uh, I didn't get my stuff out of my hotel room or anything. I just left everything because I knew the next day I'd be back because I knew this was a, you know, a big mistake, you know, and, you know, and I got back and, um, you know, uh, we went over different things and, you know, went through the process and everything. Um, But, um, you know, it, it just, it didn't turn out favorable. And at that time, I can tell you, I did get down. I did get a little uh, depressed because I felt like, okay, God, I've been doing everything like I'm supposed to, you know, why am I going through this? You know, and I'm like, I've not done anything. I've raised my kids, you know, you know, I prayed to have this office and you gave it to me and it was doing like it was supposed to. And uh, I can remember talking to a friend one evening and I said, you know, why does this have to be so hard? And he said, well, God is testing you. And I said, testing me? I'm like, well, he should have made it an open book test. And we <laughs> laughed. And he said, he did make an open book. You have your Bible. Mm. And I was like, you know, yes. I mean, you know, I went through, and a lot of people don't understand. A lot of my family didn't understand. You know, they see you working in medical, then it was automatically, oh, you you had to have done something. But people didn't realize I had been in nursing a long time. So I was making a paycheck on the, you know, anyway, every, every two weeks, you know. It wasn't like I was making money because, you know, generally the first year of a business, it doesn't make money, you know, you just paying for your office, your staff, and maybe every now and then I was able to have a couple of dollars, you know, to do, and fortunately, I had been saving all those years because I knew what my ultimate goal was, so, you know, I was able to, you know, get this process done, you know, myself, thank God, without having to take out big loans and, you know, things like that, so I didn't have that at the end point, but what ended up happening, um, Basically, I ended up closing, you know, my office. So when I closed my office, I ended up donating all everything I had in the office. It was a church that was trying to start up a clinic uh, here uh, in Decatur, Georgia. And so I donated everything in my office to the uh, volunteer clinic and I actually helped them get it open. And I didn't get to be there on the first day because I had to report on the first of the month and it wasn't gonna open to the 28th and they wouldn't give me the extra time to you know, just watch the doors be open, but it's still running now. It's successful. Um, they see over a hundred thousand people a year in that clinic. Wow. So from my downfall, so to speak, people got blessed, you know, even with all the stuff that I had in, in my office. And so that was like something positive. I do always believe in 
when it's something negative, I'm going to try to make it positive. Like they say, you take the lemons and you make lemonade, you know? So I am that type of person. I, I do try to pull out the positive and everything, but to, to fast forward from there, um, you know, I got my sentence and I had 90 days before I had to be there. And, um, you know, when I got there on my first day, it was like, uh, a blur. I, you know, I don't, I remember, but then I don't remember, mm -hmm. but I do remember just so many ladies embracing me and being so nice and kind and making sure that I had things that I needed. And um, I can remember uh, one of the uh, intake officers, you know, she told my dad, said, well, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of her because we want a big family here. And I was looking like, well, <laughs> well, then let me go home. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But, you know, in, in all, I, I say this to say, this was another part that I needed to learn to be able to be a testimony and show people that even though you go through, God is there with you and he's going to carry you. Uh, he didn't say he wasn't going to let things happen. He didn't say that we wouldn't have trials and tribulations. He's always said he will help us through. And so. You use that word through quite often. So yes, far. yes. So now you're here, uh, you know, you're, you're facing the, the time. You're at the federal prayer camp. And mm -hmm. now that you've turned yourself in on this day, you're there. Um, you know, this is the beginning of going through. Tell mm -hmm. us about your mindset when you first entered. You know, I, I know you talked about the mm -hmm. first day there, but talk about some of the challenges you faced going through. Okay. Well, one of the first challenges, and it might seem simple, is they put me on the top bunk. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, but guess what? I mastered it. I learned. I, I'm like, I've never been on the top of a bunk bed before. Mm -hmm. But I ended up mastering and I got pretty good at it. And then, you know, in a few months, I did get about a bump, but, you know, mm -hmm. that was one. Um, but one of my major challenges was actually being away from my family. Um, being able to have that regular communication with my children and my mother and my father. Um, that was like one of the biggest challenges because um, there, um, I don't know what people know, but we, we only were entitled to 300 minutes a month on the telephone. And with 300 minutes and you have five children and a mother and a father you're trying to check on, that doesn't leave much time to actually hear from each other. You know, you do have the visitations on the weekend, but people have lives still going on. And I was four hours away from home. And even though that doesn't sound far, it, it is far when you have to get on the road and go, you know, go back and forth. So, you know, I always tried to make sure it wasn't really, I never showed them that it was a big deal, you know, to me, because after the visits, it was always such a letdown because they were going home and I wasn't going with them. And so after the visits, it was like, you know, I would go lay in the bed and, you know, it took me a day to just get readjusted again, you know, after I saw them. Mm -hmm. um, but we did do a lot of letter writing and we did have access to um, email. 
but uh, I think like we talked before with email, you know, you can't convey the expressions and the emotions you want to when you're typing. So people can't feel that part. Uh, even though you're communicating, it's not complete communication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being there, I was, you know, I encountered seeing other mothers and fortunate for me, my children were all out of high school. I still had three in college, but, you know, they had each other. But, you know, to hear some of the mothers sometime, um, my room was right there next to the telephone. So not that I was eavesdropping, but you couldn't help but to hear. And, you know, when you're here, mothers try to discipline about school, making sure you do your schoolwork, making sure you, you're, you're minding your caregiver, you know, money issues, you know, it, it, it was hard, you know, and my heart would just go out, you know, to them. And, I just had said, you know, when I get home, one of my missions will be is to, to help mothers that are incarcerated and children be more connected than what, what's available now. And truly, I know, yes, we've done something. We're there for a reason. We're handling our time, but it's really no need to punish the children and the family that is left back at home because people don't understand when you're away and you're doing time, your family's doing time right along with you. They're just on the outside, but a big piece of the family is missing when you're gone. And um, it's just no need to punish our kids. Right. And so I do want to work with you know, different policies, um, different, even do pilot programs. It is a few pilot programs uh, around that are allowing kids, you know, like baby until they get to like four to stay with the mom in the facility until they get of age. But still, it's still so much more that can, you know, that can be done, um, you know, just to keep that relationship fostered. And I feel like if that relationship is fostered correctly, we will have less uh, generational incarceration because you will be able to really educate your child on, you know, yes, I was there, I did something I wasn't supposed to, but you're not going to do it. And this is how we're going to redirect, redirect this so we don't have that. And I just think, um, you know, we'll have happier families, we'll have it'll just impact everything. It'll impact the economy. It will just, just impact uh, us in the world as a whole uh, to be able to um, make this manifest. And I'm not only talking, I know my focus is mothers, but I, you know, this includes fathers as well too, but my main, my main focus is mothers. And hopefully um, I'll find a counterpart that wants to focus on fathers and then we'll have a complete family covered. <laughs> That's what needs to happen. You know, it's interesting that people often talk about federal prison camps being like club fed, you know, and so easy and so smooth. But what we're hearing here is we can't forget that there's people incarcerated away from their families. Um, and even though club fed may be a little easier, you still have restrictions. You have four hours distance between you and your family, you know, and, and them coming to see you. And then mm -hmm. the, we forget that you're a person that when your family leaves, 
you're you're feeling like you're being torn apart from the people yeah. that, you, that are you that's your life that's right. the existence of you outside your body right and they got to go and, and say bye mommy and yes then you have to go through this whole other process of getting back into the prison i was just gonna else. say that and, yes. and now so you have this this challenge in between tell us how um you know over the years like how you dealt with it i know you said you laid on your bunk but different things within prison how did you have to deal with that like mentally and, and to be able to overcome it well with me mentally um the first couple of months i didn't know what to do i cried mostly you know every day at some point and i had one lady to say you know you can't you know you sh you know you you can't cry like that all the time it's gonna be okay or whatever so then I started just crying when I went in the shower so then nobody knew I had cried and it was all over with and um actually I thought something was wrong with me because I ended up going to the psychologist and saying you know why am I crying all the time and she told me she said well who told you it was wrong to cry mm. And I'm like, well, society dictates, you know, you're supposed to be strong. You're not supposed to cry and whatever. She said, crying is an emotion. So yes, if that's the way you express your emotions, continue to. If that makes you feel better, do what makes you feel better. So after that, actually, and I thought about it, you know, things started to get better. I started to get more and more involved. I started um, participated more in the church church activities, um, in the church choir, and because of my background in medical, um, they really had no one there to teach women's health. So I started teaching women's health because um, I wanted to make sure everyone knew their numbers, how important it is to keep your blood pressure down, uh, knowing signs when you have anemia, you're not getting enough iron. Um, and then even the nutrition part where uh, we would, I would have them to come up with their favorite recipes and we do their favorite recipes. And then I said, okay, with what we have here, what can we change in that to make your recipe even better and healthier for you? And these are things you can take home with you, you know, changes. And so each, each time, I mean, my class was always full. I always had at least 20 people uh, in my class every time. So after that, we started talking about meditation. I taught meditation class uh, as a way of stress relieving, um, you know, actually, and we actually didn't just talk about it. We actually had our mats and, you know, were able to take that 30 minutes, 45 minutes and do meditation. Um, just start participating in, like I said, activities. We did have programming, but not as much programming as um, in other facilities um you know they had a lot of basic stuff uh i did advocate for more computer skills uh actual things that that would have been beneficial uh, for work but they weren't conducive for um the camp at that time so we weren't able to get those things but um also during that time too that's when god gave me the idea for my book and so every evening or uh, afternoon um, I would go uh, from 12 to 3 and go to the library and work on my book. Right. Um, I spent so much money on typewriter um, cartridges and paper uh, because that was the only way we could do it. And the way I would do it is I do it there. 
I type it on the email and send it home uh, for my daughters to keep. I say print it out. When I would get through with some pages, I would go type them up on the email. And so I was like, that way my book is safe and it'll be be at home. Did you, you have know, a did you have to attach it to the email or you actually typed No, it I had to actually type it all over again because wow. it wasn't that sophisticated. No. <laughs> <laughs> but right. it it gave me purpose and and direction. And I knew that okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So so I, I did end up actually over that time, I ended up writing three books, actually, and I'm just coming out with the first one now. But, you know, God sends people because it was a lady that came that was actually a publisher. And so when she came, she would read my chapters for me and give me advice. I mean, everything kind of like just fell into place. You know, and I guess because of the type of person I am and my personality, um, you know, I was able to just really um, meet wonderful women. And these are lifelong friendships that I would have never had. So on that point, that's another thing that I gained from it was lifelong friends. Um, It's interesting that you talk about lifelong friends, because I I still want to highlight that people are people. It doesn't matter because you are in prison, incarcerated, you still mm-hmm. are a person who mm-hmm. has desires for relationships and connection, mm-hmm. and you make lifelong friends. Some of my mm-hmm. lifelong friends that I have um, were met while I was incarcerated. Right. And, and I just to this day. credit that to, to, you know, when we met each other, it wasn't about what you got, what I can get from you. You know, we were all stripped down to our bear. So it's like we were all on the same playing field, just like kids, you know, and, you know, when you're a child, you don't know such and such might live in a better house than you or or something else. You just know all y'all live in the house, you know, so, you know, you were really able to just get to know people for who they really were and nobody had to pretend they were something they weren't. So, um, so your book, let's go back to your book, your mm-hmm. book God's Food, Let's Eat. Yes, yes. Talk about that a little bit, the title and and the book a little bit. Okay, well, I came up, I I actually wrote the book first before I came up with the title. I had so many titles. (laughs) Um, But what ended up happening in teaching, you know, health and nutrition, knowing that all of us were going through different emotions and, you know, just watching people, you know, we would emotionally eat when, you know, when you're sad and, you know, you might eat, be eating sweets or, you know, drinking this, that, you know, just everything was like centered around, you know, food. And then I started comparing, I'm like, well, it's no different than, you know, if we're at home stressing over something, you, you'll be munching and not even know you even munching on anything. And then it's gone, you know, especially like potato chips, you get there. I just think they don't put nothing in the potato chip bag now, but air. <laughs> air. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so, uh, what I ended up doing, um, is, you know, God just led me to scriptures in the Bible that describe different uh, emotions um far as anger you know how he got angry uh in the uh center when the people were there um selling things when they shouldn't have been selling them in the church mm-hmm. and he got angry and you know people like oh god didn't get angry yes jesus got angry you know and i was able to pull that out but even though 
we have these emotions, we don't have to turn to food first. So what I did, I wrote the book on the emotions, gave examples, gave real life examples, but then I also offered solutions. So it wasn't a book about just problems and what we go through. I wanted to be able to say, okay, so if you're having this emotion going on, instead of going for that bag of chips, how about go meditate for 15 minutes? How about go drink some water for 15 minutes? And then if you're still hungry, then go back and get it. So it's, it, it, it covers the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual side of our emotions in order to stay healthy. So do you have a, a date, a release that. date for your book or? Um, right now I have a release date is uh, for December. Okay. Yes, December. Um, I ended up switching uh, publishing companies. So it put it behind just a little bit, but it's not behind. It's right on time. You awesome. know, sometimes we think things are behind, but it's, it's really the falling the place when it's supposed to. That's good. Um, and people are going to need to know where they can find your book. Is it going to be on Amazon? Or? It's going to be everywhere. It's going to okay. be on every platform. It's going to be paperback, digital. It's going to be audio. We we doing the whole works with, with this book. Um, yeah. Cause God has been able to bless us because the other company I had wasn't going to do it as an ebook. Um, me, excuse me, as an audio book. And now um, this company will actually do it as an audio book. We'll have book signings. We'll have the whole tour. Um, we're going to do it a bit. <laughs> well, I do know this. Once you launch your book and it's out, your mood, mm -hmm. God's food, let's eat. I'm definitely going to highlight it on all my social media um, on, this, on this platform and other places, because it just sounds yes. good because we have a way of coping with stress and it's mm -hmm. a habit. Sometimes mm -hmm. the habits, um, we don't, you know, challenge ourselves with the habits we have. Right, so right. What we're doing. And even though we can see it's making us unhealthy, we, instead of changing, we make excuses to stay yeah. the same. Like, oh, it's not going to get better. So I can right. do whatever I want to because it's not going to change. But the reality yes. is we have to begin to find ways of changing and recognize that, you know, we can go from unhealthy to healthy. We yes. can, we can do a turnaround. And so let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. You did four years in one month during that time not saying that you you ever got comfortable but did you adjust to the point where you started seeing yourself getting better in prison yes i did i started seeing myself get better and also it was closer to going home every day yeah so um but one major thing was one of my major turning points was just you know i was being down being sad and i thought about it i said you know what as long as i'm here sad down it's gonna make it even longer and slower i said let me see what it is my purpose that put me here in the first place uh and get that taken care of as soon as i meet that purpose that god has for me i'll go home and so you know i just started becoming involved uh, participating in um talent shows, you know, stuff that I had done in years. So it was just really like finding your inner child a little bit. I, I know it might sound strange, but it was for me, like finding myself, having to be responsible just for me because I, I married young and I had a lot of responsibility. Uh, I had my first child at 19. So with going to school, being a wife, being a mom, 
all my earlier years like that, you know, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do the dating. I didn't do college traditionally, you know, so I didn't do any of those things. So, you know, even being in that environment, just having to take care of just me, that was just so different because I can guarantee 99% of the ladies I was with always put themselves last. Everybody always came before any of us because, you know, that's one of our major faults is to be caregivers. It's not a fault. It's a fault and a, and a blessing all at the same time. And it's hard to, to learn that balance and to go home and not go back into that same mode. And I tell you, a lot of days I have to catch myself because I find myself leaning back. I'm like, okay, you got to go back. You got to drive back the other way, you know. But one thing that did help me when I first came home, I did do therapy when I came home um, just so I could get reacclimated. Because uh, when my children, when, you know, my children were younger, when I left, when I come back, they were adults, adults, you know. So I had to learn how to even adjust to that. So I can imagine someone who left when their baby was two or one and they come home and they six and seven, you know, they're really lost you know and they have so much more to you know deal with so that's the reason with incarcerated mothers matter we you know going to strive to make sure that they keep that connection and maybe put in place um you know programs where at their last you know three to six months maybe they they get to start that process of reconnection you know before they get to um come home so they already have established uh, that good bond that they can continue on with whatever services that you know that they need resources available to them you know afterward but actually be able to have a plan I mean that's me if it's a problem I don't want to come to you with the problem I want to come to you with the solution you know, if I'm coming to you with a problem, I'm bringing you, you know, this is going on, but this is how we can fix it. What do you think about it? Can you help me? So, you know, that's important to me is actually bringing the solution with the problem. I love the Incarcerated Mothers Matter because it is it is bringing light to a group of, of women who just people aren't thinking of that much. Mm-mm. They're not seeing the resources need to be out there Mm-mm. for incarcerated mothers. And that's the reason why I'm bringing people, the ladies back through Ladies First for the Mm -hmm. finale. And we're going to talk about these types of things and what's important. So I hope you can join us for our finale show of, uh, you know, (laughs) our finale show of Ladies First, because we're going to talk about the issues that a lot of Mm -hmm. ladies face within incarceration that aren't being addressed the right way. the, The organization um, title. I love what you all stand for. Um, what are some ways that uh, people can help with your organization, with with providing resources? What do you think are ways that people can help out? Uh, ways that you know really that people can help out is that number one, if if you have a family member or someone you know in your neighborhood, in your church or whatever, and you know they're away and is a caregiver taking care of their kids, offer them some assistance sometime. You know, even if it's like a grandmother and you say, Hey, let me let me keep your kids for four hours so you can get a break to go to the store to 
even do some me time, go get a massage, go, go de-stress because, you know, that's a, a lot of pressure. And even with financial assistance, if, if you know, like I said, someone, um, you know, a caregiver can't afford to take the kids to see the mother on visitation day, you know, if you have extra resources or if you can be the driver or can volunteer gas money, uh, you know, that's awesome to be able to do. And, you know, the family would really appreciate it. And the person on the inside would appreciate it. And definitely the children would benefit from spending, you know, as much time with their mother, you know, as possible. Because when, you know, when they get home, you know, moms want their kids back, you know, and, you know, that needs to be a, a positive experience on both sides. So that's one major way is just, you know, helping out in the community. Uh, as far as us, um, the organization that I have, we are fairly new and uh, with it. So now we're actually in the process of developing resources and, um, you know, things that we'll be able to do. But one of the major things uh, that I want to be able to do, like I said, even to have like a small grant program where, where you can offer assistance to, you know, for visitation, you know, to try to lobby to some of the to the prison system to get more than 300 minutes a month to talk. Um, where I was, you could do video visits as well, but they were 25 minutes and they were $6 a piece. When you add up $6 a piece, you know, you'll spend two, $300 just trying to do a video visit every day, you know? Right. So, you know, that's just not, you know, feasible, but even to offer, have enough where everybody could get a video visit once or twice a month, you know, and like I said, again, I know, um, you know, being on the inside, you've done something, you paying your debt to society, but this is not for the people on the inside. It's for the children. It's, it's, it's to help keep them nurtured. When, when they're better, they, they function better in classrooms. They, you know, they, they function better in society. Um, you know, a lot of kids are getting mislabeled now for behavior problems and, you know, getting put on ADHD medication. And sometimes it's just that they need love and a hug because the people that were there, you know, they don't understand, well, why mama had to go away. They don't, I mean, they don't fully understand it. And then if they sit around and then they hear people talking, you know, how people will gossip sometimes, then yeah. they get the whole wrong perspective about what's going on. So um, that's another way. Uh, also, I want to be able to do some type of fun for Christmas where we're able to um, do donations for toys or in gift cards and things like that to help out, um, you know, the, the kids and, and the family that, you know, that are at, at home. You and know, just find resources. I really appreciate you sharing more about that incarcerated mothers matter because I think there's a, a way of people connecting to the need and being able to meet the need. The other part is to highlight the need. And so when we come back on our finale show and I bring you back in, I definitely want to highlight some of the needs and why what you just shared with us is so important. Some of the stories that you may have seen and uh, just your own yeah. personal experience also. So yeah. You know, today's show was, has been great. I want to thank you for being on, for sharing your story, for being so transparent and really helping our listeners to understand why it's important to have this disruptive dialogue, because 
you are so much more than just a formerly incarcerated person. You are a mother, you are an influencer, you are making a difference mm -hmm. in this world. And I wanna say thank you for being a part of Disruptive Dialogue. And thank I you so much having you again. Yes, yes, I can't wait to the finale show. And look, I'll make sure I have my list uh, then. But if anyone wants to, to follow us, uh, we do have our page set up on Facebook and it's Incarcerated Mothers Matter. And on Instagram, we're Incarcerated underscore mothers and underscore matters and we keep you updated on what we have going on and we actually have a weekly podcast as well um it'll be it, the format is changing up so we won't start back up until september but we have just so many stories that we want to get out there so people can actually understand who we are and put the humanization back to where it, it belongs because everyone, you know, we're people. Love it, love it. Thanks for sharing where people can get in, in touch with you. And um, again, support Incarcerated Mothers Matter, support Ms. Patterson. And we thank you again for joining us today for Disruptive Dialogue. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining.